Welcome, everyone, to the AI and Business Podcast. I'm Matthew DeMello, Senior Editor here at Emerge Technology Research. Today's guest on the program is Mark Bruner, President of Primer Federal. Together, we examine the gaps between the Department of Defense's current AI capabilities and the race for dominance with China, especially in areas that he calls the Defense Industrial Network can fill with emerging AI superiorities emerging from the Ukrainian battlefront. Later, we talk about the importance of end-user data from subject matter experts in updating legacy systems in tandem between public and private partnerships. Today's episode is sponsored by Primer. Don't forget to scroll back on podcast.emerge.com. That's podcast singular .emerge.com to find our first episode with John Bohannon in this series talking about the ways that AI is shaping the conflict in Ukraine and vice versa, the importance of this conflict in determining AI superiority in this space between allies, rivals in China and elsewhere around the world. Turning back to my conversation with Mark for today's episode, without further ado, here's that conversation. Thank you so much, Mark, for being with us on the program this week. Thank you, Matthew. I've been a big fan of these podcasts, and I think it's a fascinating topic. You know, we live this day to day, and the world of AI is changing so quickly. It's an exciting space to operate in. And so I'm looking forward to the discussion today. Absolutely. AI is changing the fabric of our lives in every way. And why should defense be any different? So just rolling from the first episode that we did in this series, we covered how AI is playing an instrumental role in the first land war in Europe in over 70 years. From that vantage point, what is the most important question for the defense community? Given the current stage of AI development we're seeing demonstrated every day in the Ukrainian battlegrounds, especially for where we're at currently in 2023. Yeah, that's the right question to ask. And the Ukrainian-Russian conflict, while tragic, has served as a bit of a testbed for AI and new technologies. In fact, this is really the first AI war that we've seen where AI has been used in, you know, really across the board by all sides in the conflict. At Primer, we believe the defining question now is, how can we get out on the front foot as the U.S. and embrace proven AI technologies to bridge known gaps in our military and across the defense industrial base? I would also point out that the words we use matter in the terminology. I'd suggest that the defense industrial network is a much more appropriate term for the 21st century challenges that we'll face. And in fact, it reshapes our understanding from the optic conveyed by what is often our legacy industrial base. And part of that is often the Pentagon delivers a, a system to meet a requirement, sometimes defined more than a decade earlier. And that makes it nearly impossible to insert new technologies and respond to dynamic threats and advances and warfighting concepts. And so our answer primer is by helping DOD shake off that historic slowness in adopting new tech and increasing access between the innovation community and DOD and the defense industrial network users, we can use that access 
to iterate and generate solutions at scale. And that's really important, solutions at scale to help us deter that conflict. It is very interesting, especially for, you know, unfortunately, and it's almost an inevitability that it's going to become the first battleground that we see using AI and have a significance in that way. You know, equally as tragic, but equally also inevitable, given that the times that we're living in. You were mentioning before that, you know, these places where DOD needs to catch up and shake off its, you know, historic lethargy for change in partnership with what you described as as a, what I put in shorthand, but the defense industrial network, as you describe it, as opposed to you know, ways it's been described in the past. Can you give some examples of at least those known gaps between the two that AI can help address? Sure. Matthew, what I'd say is three things. Situational awareness, mission planning, and reducing that latency from sensor to operator. For situational awareness, you know, I'd look at the example of a watch change on the deck of a ship or an installation or even shift change at one of our defense assembly plants. Often in human-to-human turnover, information sometimes gets lost. But no one, no one should miss something important because someone had to take a coffee break. One of our AI tools, Primer Delta, helps teams extract, summarize, and update all mission-relevant information 24-7 because, Matthew, our machines never sleep. And this allows the watch teams, commanders, operators to see the entire operating picture and make better decisions. And importantly, we're not looking to replace the human in the loop, but simply to provide the human operator better information. The second would be mission planning. Each day, military pilots spend thousands of hours on flight planning, pouring over map, airport requirements, notices to airmen, pilot readiness, and more. And in many cases, these are the same tools developed in the 1970s. Really hasn't changed. And Primer can automate that entire process and provide go, no-go insight at a much greater level of precision for air crews. And this buys back time for highly skilled pilots and flight crews to deliver more value in their other parts of their job, work that only they can do, And I'd say, Andrew, you know, time bought back compounds like interest. It's hugely valuable. It's it's several million dollars to train a military pilot. So their time is precious and we need to make better use of it. And thirdly, I'd say reducing the latency dedicated to information collection and analysis. So now we're talking about the analyst community, right? Especially in intelligence, many analysts will read and process hundreds of documents a day. Now imagine that, reading several hundred documents a day, how time-consuming that is. And what Primer can do is cue the analysts to the most important document for them to review first. And we extract the entities, locations, and topics they care most about. And we can summarize their streams of often messy data and then auto-generate mini dossiers for people, teams, and locations. And importantly, this reduces the time to insight from hours to just minutes. Again, freeing up people for that next level of analysis that they otherwise wouldn't get to because of the sheer time required for the volume of everything that they were used to doing. 
So what Primer is doing is fundamentally giving the analyst more time back in their day to do their job. I just want to open this. We we actually ran a op-ed earlier from Daniel Fagella, our head of research and CEO on the arms race with China. Multifaceted. I know this even extends into TikTok, but focusing squarely on the capabilities for defense. Tell us how this arms race is is different from a fundamental historical standpoint, even where we saw military buildups, you know, in the early 30s is is always kind of the comparison. This isn't like what we saw out of Japan in the lead up to Pearl Harbor or or Germany in the lead up to World War II. Tell us why that is the case. I think the United States is in an AI arms race with China, right? And part of this is the the stakes are high. And that's because the nation that builds, deploys AI capabilities first will seize an extraordinary advantage. And in our view, they will likely push that lead possibly irretrievably, meaning when one opponent gets ahead of the crowd, it may be that we can never get that edge back. As for what's at stake, I consider this historic thought experiment. Imagine if Pearl Harbor had been the totality of World War II for the United States. What if the whole war started and ended on a single Sunday morning? Well, it didn't because of the limitations of the tools Imperial Japan had on hand in 1941. But it's 2023 now. AI is different. People should absolutely not assume that we will have a chance to regroup and rebuild on our timeline and get back into the ring if the enemy gets a jump on us. You know, the enemy gets a vote and speed and the capabilities here are the decisive aspects of AI that we need to ensure that we are the one who's in the lead and we don't give that up. I think something underlying at least the arms race is especially there are many advantages that the United States has just simply from having silicon in our backyard. From that standpoint, the many ways that artificial intelligence as a country, you know, such a hotbed of technology that there's many ways that we can lead certain AI fronts in that respect. But squarely from what you were talking about before and closing those gaps in especially the DOD's capabilities and getting over this historic lethargy, you know, we've talked to a lot of folks in the defense spaces about public-private partnerships, just from the standpoint of updating legacy systems, because you're never going to find entities more legacy and more more entrenched in their ways than those attached to the U.S. federal government, often, especially you, you go out through retail and other sectors. But focusing squarely on defense, you know, going back through your career, getting that executive buy-in from the DOD being able to prove quick wins that make folks rethink how they've handled data management when that's been their job you know they have a they have a relationship to those workflows and their stakeholder in it what do you think are the best strategies for going into those conversations especially from starting those projects and laying the groundwork yeah i, I think it's important not just to focus on the executive level the generals the political appointees but to be successful in this business you really need to get to the users to the operators and for us what's key is the direct access to users and data right without it it's really hard to iterate and refine solutions to meet their specific mission requirements 
I would contrast that with the commercial world where we have the luxury at Primer of iterating on our products constantly based on customer feedback and data. And in commercial technology, if you roll out an update, you can literally have thousands of users giving you almost real-time feedback. And then you can either adjust the update or even decide to scrap it, start a new and launch another one. With the DOD, it's very difficult to iterate given the bureaucracy and structure. Each time we come up with a new technology, we often will need a new authority to operate on that network. And with defense, you also have a very narrow audience. It's sometimes limited access. And there's a need for, I think, valid, relatively low-risk experiments with some of the program managers and contract officers. So what really helps us is if we're able to sit with our end users and understand their challenges and pain points, fine-tune those solutions for the specific needs, and training their teams to use AI with confidence. And here's where Primer really excels, is the Primer products don't require a PhD in data science. Our products are designed for the operators and analysts to be able to use with often just an afternoon of training. So we spend a lot of time on the user interface and thinking about how our operators and analysts would optimize the software Part of that is at Primer, we recruit fairly heavily from the national security community. So we have the luxury of many of our colleagues who know exactly how the software is best optimized because they were in those roles. And when you have that buy-in from stakeholders and when we're able to fully understand their requirements, then we can really shape the technology to meet their needs. Because as I say in the DOD, Unfortunately, the way the structure is, you sometimes only have one shot to get it right that first time because the iteration can be so difficult if you're working with the government. Just in addition to that access you were talking about, what other changes would you like to see just in terms of the defense industrial network that you described its relationship with the DOD? and how that can spur a lot of the ways you were touching on for the DOD to get over that historic lethargicness? Well, to unpack that that question of changes within the defense enterprise, which is, that's a broad group. I would say at the structural level, we need greater flexibility in the funding mechanisms, right? So we can leverage that practical and trusted AI that Primer provides. At the cultural level, We often advise our customers to think small, fill in your known gaps, things like mission planning, information collection, asset tracking, workflows. Free up your people for things that only they can do. And thinking small may sound like a counterintuitive goal, but actually in tech, small is fast and fast is big. We see that exponential growth happens with incremental changes first. And again, it's back to that iteration cycle that I talked about, which we find is so powerful in technology, especially in AI, where you have machines that the performance increases with additional learning, right? So the more data run through the machines, the more performant they are. And we think that 
leaders within the DOD and, and candidly across the government really should focus on this continual improvement and be open to new ideas and approaches rather than seeking that one-time revolutionary breakthrough, right? Often those one-time leap-ahead strategies take years to produce from the time you have the blueprint to when you're actually fielding the system. And that strategy can also be fairly brittle because it's very hard to iterate and incorporate newer technology on what becomes a legacy platform. I would tell you also that I was fortunate to participate in the Atlantic Council's Commission on Defense Innovation that re recently re produced a report. And one of our key findings was that DOD must absolutely change the way it executes the acquisition programs and add this flexibility. And I would point out that in my personal view, we have to get comfortable with taking more short-term risk in order to keep pace with technology to ensure we don't incur long-term risk and a dangerous future where we're left behind in this vital competition. And that's why iteration, again, I go back to is so important. I'd point out that Edison didn't land on the right filament for the light bulb on his first try. And so that's how we have to look at tech, which again is not changing year by year, it's changing day by day. I think those are really insightful points, just especially on touching back to where you were answering on where we can close those gaps. And just moving forward, I know there's a lot of timidity just around between a lot of, you know, political conversations, taxpayer conversations that rub up against what we know for sure in AI, which is you've got to fail fast and f fast is a big part of the process and having a certain knowledge and having a certain you know, especially data proven ways of, of of looking at that failure and knowing that it's on a trajectory to pay off for those big wins, those Edison wins you were talking about before. I think the more that we can prove that down the line and make that transparent in non-coding ways, especially to the to the subject matter experts, that really transcends industry, not just defense. Mark, thanks so much for being with us on the program today. And we really appreciate having you. Terrific. Thank you, Matthew. I really enjoyed the discussion and and look forward to continuing to talk about this vital topic. Wrapping up today's episode, I think what Mark had to say about why a power will pull away in terms of AI superiority in a way that we did not see in the pantheon of World War II or World War I, 20th century and previous technological capabilities is evident to anyone in the AI space. And it might not be the case for anybody outside just yet. Although I do think with media coverage being what it is these days for the topic, I think mom is catching up. I know my mother is, even in areas of defense. And I think even the importance of why the U.S. and allied technological capability, at least in competition with China, should be a mainstream part of the conversation, at least for the next decade in tandem with all things AI, I think is just evident from this episode. Also, what Mark had to say about the importance of end-user data from subject matter experts, it's more than just what 
the generals think or what the politicians think, as he puts it. Put that in the context of the business. It, it, it only matters so much what the business leadership thinks versus the subject matter experts that are really going to shape the first phase of this technology, I think, just about across the board. There are rare exceptions, and I'm sure we're going to hear about them from you on LinkedIn and Twitter. Until then, on behalf of Daniel and the entire team here at Emerge, thanks so much for joining us today, and we'll catch you next time on the AI and Business Podcast.